Good evening and welcome to Fashion Mode, a brand new fashion show for World Radio Paris, brought to you in association with Force Magazine. I'm Charles Daniel MacDonald and I will be hosting the show exclusively for World Radio Paris every other Tuesday from 8 to 8.30pm. We're going to be starting off by having a look at the most recent run of International Fashion Weeks for spring-summer 2019 and here I'll be explaining why Paris as always sets the scene, what you can expect to see on the streets of the capital for the new season and the influence that the French designers and fashion houses have had on this divergent international industry. The hot topic this Paris season has been Hedis Slimane's first show for Sewin. Around the shows, people have been reading reviews of that collection like never before, feeding a fashion debate about the female gaze field, of course, by the contrast between Slimane and the predecessor Phoebe Fellow's work. He stayed true to the personal aesthetic that he has held on to since the mid-2000s, cemented during his time at Saint Laurent, from the sliding cubic mirrored box at the root of the runway to the special commission soundtrack and a show that read like retail perils on a string. Swaman recreated this signature show format for Celine. The models were typically skinny and scouted for the occasion. Tiny little rock and roll suits roamed the runway in mass. Little poof super mini prom dresses with ballooning off the shoulder sleeves painted the final evening wear picture. It must have been a strange season for Antonio Bacciarello, who took over Saint Laurent from Slimane just around two years ago, but he has still retained the silhouette. And many of the carryovers he established at the house. On paper, Vacherello's show was a history lesson in Yves Saint Laurent's archives, but these days associations are fickle. A hussar jacket with passe-mire married as a 1970s Yves Saint Laurent to one person, and as British indie bands from the 2000s to another. Fashion's very subjective that way. The evening segment proposed swimming costumes for martini time. These were wrapped sparsely around the body and cut so high around the hips they could almost have reached the plumed nipple covers standing in the dresses at exit 51. The shots are very me. Me for Saint Laurent, the designer quipped when asked about these scanty minis. He took his final bow, walking on water, quite literally because the runway was covered in a thin depth of reflective water, making the gesture perhaps a little fitting for the season, epitomised by a dance between the titans of fashion. As we know, Céline is owned by the LVMH Group and Saint Laurent is owned by the Keyring Company. And around the Paris runways, the two competing conglomerates continue to have their say in the big conversation. For so long, people have defied my work saying I was empowering women. It's an intuition I've always had, so why should I not take on that criteria to design this collection only? This is not a narrative collection. This is about my obsession with empowering women, dressing them. I think I've been doing that for many, many years. Nicholas Gasquia said this about his Louis Vuitton show, which proposed a rather armoured Joan of Arc silhouette for his version of new female empowerment. It's the complexity of a woman and her emotions, Sarah Burton explained across the street to Alexander McQueen, where she did draw on similar armour-type clothes. 
working with the memories of Victorian bridal gowns, reincarnated in somewhat sexy flowns and waist dresses, fortified with Celtic weather decorations throughout, which the designer expresses in her more dangerous and her more offside. In this world where everyone's like, you've got to put on a brave face, you have to be powerful, you have to pretend that everything is okay, here suddenly she's saying, well, there isn't beauty and vulnerability and emotion. It's important to say there is. The women reached a debate zenith at Comme des Garçons, where Ray Kawabuko expressed her decision to embrace a new silhouette closer to the anatomy of the human body in the image of the loss of an unborn. Her collection featured gashes across the front of richly adorned black double-breasted coats and dresses worn by female models with their abdomens heavily padded to resemble pregnancy. Maria Grazia Churi, who has branded herself as fashion's feminist designer, opened Paris Fashion Week with an impressive dance performance choreographed by Sharon Iao. I try to speak more about experience and less about cause, Churi said of the theatrical experience. Was she saying the show overrules the cause? It's the reality. In order to move a couture brand into the future, you have to ask yourself, what does fashion mean? What does fashion mean to you today? And I think we're living in a revolutionary moment where it's so important for us to use creative directors to actually reflect and work in harmony with the designer to reinterpret the future of the fashion system. Uphill at Gucci, Alessandro Michel has mastered the fashion theatre from day one. He moved his show to Paris this season and took out the fabled Lee Palace nightclub and theatre in Montmartre. It was a perfectly suitable choice for his underground elves, but it was the noticeable progress of Michel's plentiful shtick and in his bold styling moves that made this collection more compelling than his usual theatre. Jean-Paul Gaultier put men in skirts some 30 years ago, but the moment Mikael sent a buzz-cut boy with tattoos and tennis socks in a swanky baroque print scarf dress and a big backpack, it felt monumentous in a brand new way. It helped to fuel his most sexually loaded collection to date, which had men in super low-cut leotards and leather and rhinestone dance cups. Gender non-conformity became a big theme during the week, with Givenchy where queer white Keller mirrored her women and man in each other's images. Then, most of all, at Maison Margiela, where John Galliano imbued his first fragrance for the house, Mutiny, with the values of the new generations. It's the courage of standing up for what you believe in, he said in a podcast about the fragrance. Fronted by a group of non-conformist ambassadors who have all battled views in relation to identity and appearance. When they come to a house... They want to know what the house stands for before they can buy into it. Galliano said this about the millennial and Generation Z consumers that are such hot property in fashion these days. All I can say is that everything we do here is based on truth and authenticity. It comes from the heart. Creativity is our mutiny. Creativity is my mutiny. Informed by his Maison Margiela Haute Couture collection in July, Galliano's co-ed ready-to-wear show proposed a new way of dressing for the non-conformist generations. 
This was expressed specifically through intricate cuts and techniques which implement the memory of one garment into another. Here, a skirt cut with the motif of a jacket became a cape, while an image of swimwear was bonded onto a waist dress worn by a boy. It underlined the importance of pushing fashion, not just as a message and theatre, but through reinvention and cuts. Balenciaga joined that mission also by suggesting a new way of wearing tailoring, fluid over the shirts by Demna rather than the traditional blazers, were roughly styled with matching trousers, and they weren't just aesthetically appealing, but just right for a casual era of dressing where women and men still want to look put together. It's comfortable tailoring with no shoulder pads. You don't need to wear a shirt because the shirt has been transformed into a jacket in order to be able to dress a new generation in tailoring, he said. Rooted in haute couture, where all the development happens, it echoed the approach of Piccioli, who showcased his best Valentino ready-to-wear collection to date, transforming his haute couture into everyday garments. Quoting, I think today the real freedom is to be whoever you want to be, wherever you are. You don't need to escape. I don't like to escape, he said for the collection, which he got a standing ovation for. I'm not looking for big efforts on the runway. It's a moment now when you have to show the real fashion. And that's something Paris most certainly did for spring-summer 2019. the years of the London shows, I can't remember a situation like that of Riccardo Tisci joining Burberry. This was a massive international establishment designer moving to town for a fashion institution. We've had our share of illustrious guests on the British runway over the years, but nothing like this. Tisci's first show for Burberry felt groundbreaking in so many ways. Not because it was a moment, but because of which the way the Italian designer approached it, it was so decidedly un-London and almost anti-establishment. We're used to seeing the emerging designers, the small shows and audio venues. You've got Erdem, Mary Catranzo, Simone Rocha, Christopher Kane and all in their new establishment glory, putting on tailor-made experiences in quintessentially British galleries and such but nothing quite like Tishi's enormous and meticulously designed space in Battersea with a Burberry collection that encompassed virtually every market and approach in high fashion. To me, that's the sense and breadth that's associated with Italy. Your Armanis and your Zegnas and their corresponding diffusion lines for market segmentation and strict and stark dress codes for everything for staff to chairs for brand identity. It's a good idea for London Fashion Week, which thrives on the contrasts that make both the giants and the newcomers stand out. Right now, London is falling back into focusing on the talents the last three years have created, and that's not such a bad thing. Every now and again, there will be a moment of talent and creation so powerful that it fuels us for years. I think that now we're in that phase again. Michael Halpern, Matty Bovan, Molly Goddard, Richard Quinn, and the London men's shows, Charles Jeffrey and all, they're on their way to new establishment territory, 
hoping to build companies with independent two-digit million turnovers like Air Dems or attracting the backing of industry giants like LVMH or Keering like J.W. Anderson and Christopher Kane have both done respectively. Both Halpern and Quinn focused on moving it on as if it were, even though they were fundamentally reluctant to do so. When will you move on from sequence, people ask Halpern, who's built a business on disco embroidery. I'm never going to stop using sequence, he told us. I don't believe why people are asking me that, because you look at other brands who have had a go-to fabrication forever and no one confronts them. When are you going to move away from crepe? When are you going to stop using black? And yeah, sure enough, he opened with a series of sequined looks. But having established his views on the matter once and for all, Halpern felt comfortable to explore shiny territory beyond the borders of sequins. In multicoloured and multi-check ottomans, in organza interweaves of satin thread and screen printed, and again, more pleated organza foiled in gold. Quinn opened a show which followed up on last season's royal attendance with a room full of students as a way of protesting the government's cuts to the arts education. With gimp masks and florals we associate with them, but the familiar soon transcended into a refined, dainty and at times still dark, macabre take on the codes of haute couture. It was print heavy before, but now we're trying to bring in different textiles like embroideries with different shapes. It's more of an amalgamation of a full world, rather than just putting a single print, print, print. It's more about separates. It's pushing fashion forward in a way, he told the press. For Mary Catranzo and Victoria Beckham, who were both celebrating the 10th anniversaries of their brands, it was more of a question of looking back in order to move things on. Catranzo showed an impressive collection, cleverly based on the idea of collecting a theme that she used to reference her own archives in new looks in a way that's never been done before. This felt a bit like Mary's greatest hits. It was as emotional as Beckham's Dover Street Bonanza, which saw her ease into an amplified sense of evening wear, and it felt new while paying homage to the power-tailing and architecturally constructed dresses that she took from her wags to riches. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. There's no particular season that has inspired the collection. What we realised looking back on the last 10 years is that we've established some really strong codes. So, what you see in the collection is masculine feminine, the celebration of the female form, of colour, of strong codes, Beckham quoted folk. But definitely not a retrospective for Tishi, who had a century of Burberry codes to draw on. It was more about establishing an aesthetic he thought sufficiently reflected contemporary British society today. So he ticked all the boxes of what might be, from ladies to rude boys. Quotes, I was obsessed with all things that England hasn't got. You've got the Queen and you've got punk. You've got skinheads and the Victorians and the freaks, he said. I was the first one to bring streetwear into fashion, Tishi noted, referring to his pedigree Givenchy. Now, I think fashion has gone to street. You can dress the mother, you can dress the daughter. Why just have one entity when you can propose something for every age, every culture, different lifestyles? 
at London Fashion Week even if you went something for everyone. With regards to the theatrics of fashion this season as well, Milan certainly did not disappoint. Between all the entertainment acts in Milan this season, the Italian fashion capital certainly lived up to its reputation for showmanship. Robbie Williams took Emporio Armani's runway at Lenati Airport and played a full concert, while Rita Ora did her thing at Philip Wine. Michael Neyman delivered a live score at Missione and Michael Clark directed a performance for Gucci. Fashion is in a funny place where the contrast between pure creation and commerce is so tense that you can practically put the shows into either box. But it has created a pretty interesting season so far, where a newfound appetite for bourgeoisie dressing is finding a way of justifying the kind of fashion we refer to as a commercial, a wearable or an accessible, whichever sounds chicer. Whatever you're after, Milan's the place for it. If Burberry owns one of the two most famous coats in the world, then Max Mara owns the other. Ian Griffiths confidently sent out a collection of the beige and camel stuff that makes a bourgeoisie heart grow fonder. And for anyone who grew up surrounded by the women in these coats, there was a familiar charm to it. It has a comforting sophistication. Salvatore Ferragamo's menswear designer Guillaume Milliant offered after he and Paul Andrew presented a co-ed collection that rifled on these same ideas. Stella Tennant, who's having a major moment this season, opened the show in a grey chromatic A-line leather skirt and a sand-coloured t-shirt with big meshy 1980s boots, seemingly worlds away from the waves of alternative lifestyles and young generations which are revolting against the conformism that the fell fashion media landscape has these days. Fendi joined in on the beige proposing a wardrobe, Silvia Venturiri, called functional clothing. Not just for the occasion, but we wanted something for everyday life. The normal Fendi man, the active woman, a real wardrobe, she was quick to explain. Tetro and Missoni showed collections of a similar non-confrontational nature. Accessibility is not a bad thing, but it does make you wonder why some corners of fashion are putting the brakes on avant-garde. The whole thing for me was to discuss what's happening right now in the world, Michia Prada said of her most recent collection. We wish for freedom, for liberation and for fantasy. Then, on the other side, there's an extreme conservatism that's also happening. I wanted to represent the clash between these two opposites. That's what's really happening in the reality out there. She detected the cliché codes of the left and the right. Tie-dye versus crystal embellishment. Swimsuit tops versus chiffon blouses. Miniskirts versus tennis skirts. T-shirts versus duchess skirts. I tried to break the rules, she said, and she wasn't simply referring to formal codes. When it's too much, no one will embrace it. Too much fantasy, too much craziness. Perhaps that answers the question. Designers today are looking for a golden middle between the poles of creativity to which we can all relate and to which we can all buy into. Dolce & Gabbana and Versace approached relatability through sprightly and diverse casts of supermodels. 
There were models of all ages, almost like the golden girls. And in the former cases, women of all sizes were finally recognised. That was Echo Dip Marnie, but you couldn't accuse Francesco Riso of assimilating into the season's climate for the bourgeoisie dressing. Between his sea blue bustier and skirt scattered with hand-painted white polka dots, interwoven with scarf-like printed silks of Greek statues and vivid red brushstrokes, then Frankenstein's monster, bustiers in fleshy leather, Marnie was a creation all the way with everything in it. I imagine this remote future with all these dishevelled nymphs or 3D Amazons, Russell reflected, creatures of a genetically modified Olympus. Fashion might well be in a functional place fit for commerce right now, but there'll always be a mad hatter somewhere within the crowd. Last but not least, speaking about crowds, and after the exodus of brands from the New York Fashion Week schedule in recent seasons, it was ironic that this week's major theme should be Wonderlust. I mean, it doesn't exactly encourage designers to stay put. But with the return of Rodarte and Proenza Schauler, who had gone all haute couture and fancy in Paris just last year, the American fashion capital has had less to worry about this season. Rodarte happened to be the best show experience I saw in New York. For everything that went against it, there was torrential rain, an outdoor cemetery venue that couldn't be changed. It wasn't the warmest and most authentic display of emotion in a fashion week. It often felt a little cold. Kate and Laura Mulnevy are the romantic fairy tale exception to the streamlined wham-bam, thank you ma'am mentality that often reigns within New York. Spirits remained high as the horror enthusiast sisters Elegic procession of Tim Burton-esque brides ceremoniously strutted through the rain. It was worth getting wet for, at least from where I was sitting in the warmth of an office. It gave us what we all like. It gave us a atmosphere is what we need, said Kate Malouie, which forewent all commercial sense in favour of beautiful and haunting ball gowns. You just have to get to a certain point where you realise who you are as a designer, Kate explained. Going to Paris and doing a show, there was an important turning point to understand where our brand is. And now, it's on our own terms. We do what we want. And I'm not interested in anything else. These are the clothes I make. Before, we'd almost be apologetic for it because people want things to be something that they're not. But we're not like that now as a brand. This is what we do. And that has to be that. Putting at New York, all eyes were on Ralph Warren and he didn't have to talk politics. The guest list for his 50th anniversary show in the Bethesda Terrace Tunnel in Central Park did that for him. Rolling out an impressive declaration of love and admirers from all across the globe. Lauren's show was a poignant display of cultural inclusivity, especially in the polo segment where ambiguous couples of people of all races and ages proved that Polo is one of the strongest brands ever created, and one that holds much nostalgic value for those of us who spent our childhoods wearing it and still regard it as the only go-to uniform for downtime. What I know for sure is what is real and what lasts. We are here because you have lasted, Oprah Winfrey told the designer in her speech at the dinner after the show. You care about the things that matter, 
family, home, integrity and freedom, she gushed, before Ralph Warren took the microphone. I'm not so glamorous at home, you know. I walk around in a ripped robe and old towels, but I've been very lucky. I like working, I like to dream, and everyone in this room helped me to fulfil my dream. I hope you can join us for the next show, where I will be joined by the revered French photographer, Lydia Mitral, who will be talking about her life behind a lens on the Paris fashion scene. With more details and features to follow on www.forcemagazine.com. Coming up next at 8.30 is the BBC Business Report, but until the next time, keep your fashion mode on. Well